nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another fun-packed, thrill-filled edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. Ooh, oh, very, yes. very uh, mellifluous. Yeah. The antidote to modern living. And joining me this week, Sir Michael Livesley, we have... Uh, <laughs> you have a complete history of Paul Carmichael. Oh, a complete history of Paul Carmichael. Um, with Simon Sharma, I would hope. Oh, with Simon Sharma, sort of. Yeah. He, he had a very uh, lugubrious style, didn't he? Walking he did. across the beach. No, that's Wandering through Scarabray, something like that. No, yeah. but he's got that strange accent, hasn't he? He's got a slight transatlantic thing going now. Yeah. He's lived over in the States for so long. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I love him. I absolutely love him. That History of Britain series. That's... Oh, aye, that was good, that. That's yeah. beautifully made. 22 years old, that's it. No, it isn't. Uh, no, it's it, not. It, it can't be, is my can't only be. assessment of your uh, assessment. Absolutely. I seem to remember the DVD was in a like a cardboardy, booky box thing. It was quite nice. It, what you say that I've got it over there. Yeah. So it it is it is nice. It's lovely to look at. You know, it's got a beautiful spine on it. It's so mm. well designed. Apart from when you want to take the discs out. Ah. That's the issue. Um, and it's impossible to get the damn things out without without literally gripping the disc and sort of pulling quite hard. Who um, uh. are misses? Yes, and so, and so greasy marks all over the discs. So, um, uh. <laughs> but but wonderful that that first episode and he buggers off to Scarabray. Oh, that's beautiful, Scarabray. I'd love to go to. That's on the list. Yeah, I'm thinking it's one of those big lecturer coats with the collar up, hands in pockets as he's. Striding purposefully through the the thing, no, he goes more for a sort of um, black jacket and turtleneck during this one. That's his oh. early two thousands look, um, right? You know, slightly cheeky look and a raised eyebrow. Um, right, but, but God, he presents well. He really does. Love him. Yes, um, I wasn't fond of his remake of Civilization. Uh, no, absolutely not. Kenneth no. Clark. No. Right now, here's the. This is the problem, isn't it? This is Was where it you Kenneth need Clark. Some... It was. It yeah, was Kenneth yeah, yeah. Clark Civilization. Civilization, you get what sixty nine, I think, and then you get the Ascent of Man. Uh, oh a years yes, later. yes, wonderful stuff. Jacob two Bukowski. box sets. Yes, two box sets I've got on the shelf which I haven't watched, but I like to know. Oh, the Ascent of Man. I mean, you know, just the episode titles, music of the spheres, and things mm. like that. You know, which is back to Plato, who you don't like. Don't like um, at all. No. Um. There's a great... Um, is it Jacob Bronowski or Brokowski? Yes. It's Bronowski, uh, is it? Bronowski. I know that yes. because of uh, the penguin on the top of the telly in Monty Python. And they're arguing about right. whether it comes from Burma or not. And apparently it's... Uh, well, how should I know? I'm not Dr. Bloody Bronowski. Brilliant. John Cleese's wonderful line. There's a, there's a great Parkinson with him. Mm. There's a great Parkinson with him, um, where he's, uh, you know, obviously got that brown suit on. The brown suit oh, is yes. very much the sort of, the hallmark of 1972, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it is, absolutely. You know. Um, yeah. But The Ascent of Man's a fantastic series, and also Connections, the the one in the late 70s. Um, James Burke. James Burke, that's a fantastic series, that. Well, that's where that clip comes from that occasionally shows up on Twitter and things of the tracking shot where he's walking along, talking to camera, and the camera's tracking with him. And at the end of it, he goes, like this. And the space shuttle takes off. And it's all one shot. The wow. timing. 
Oh, that the timing incredible. of that is is absolutely beautiful. And Bronowski died though, didn't he? Bronowski died the year after the, the year, ascent of man. That that um, interview with Parkinson is a, not long before he dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Now, I think he died in seventy two. I'm not no, sure. No, no. Um, uh, ascent of man seventy three and the book. Oh, is it? Oh, I'm so it's seventy four that he died. Right. Um, but yeah, to, that was such a. I say it was such a shocking thing, as though I was there. Don't well, think I've of conceived. course. Um, but but it is quite shocking to see him doing these programs and the wonderful presenting style. And then you oh didn't yeah. actually do anything afterwards. But I imagine the book is fantastic, and I shall. I won't read it. But no, I no, imagine no, it's fine. Sure I might have it on the shelf, though. You may have it on the shelf because you like the spines. It's been a good week for books, actually. Mm. Um, you know, seamless link there. Um, I got a really odd one this week, um, mm. which I didn't want. So there were two auctions going on. Phil Comics on eBay. Um, he auctions some incredible stuff, and I wanted the Topper file, which is a sort of history of the Topper comic. But um, at the same time, he was selling the DC Thompson Bumper Book of Fun, which is this funny shaped thing here. Um, oh. And this is, don't worry, the barcode's stuck on, it's coming off. Um, this is actually an expose of DC Thompson's Dundee offices. Um, and the lawyers, who are the wonderfully titled, they reprint the lawyer's letter at the front of the book, Messrs Thorntons and Dickies, WS. Oh. Um, at their offices being... Um, uh, uh, Whitehall Chambers, 11 Whitehall Street, Dundee, DD14AE. Oh. You know, and uh, yours faithfully. Um, oh, I must I must get a little input on this watch. Um, what does that say there? Um, uh, SGD, yours faithfully, brackets, SGD, Thorntons and Deckies. They were the ones who protected the DC Thompson reputation. I see. Um, because they were renowned for not looking after artists and not looking after employees. Um, if you joined a union, you were out. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yes. Which you agree with. No. Well, okay. No, that's an interesting point, isn't it? It's hmm. not that I fully... Well, I'm a member of a union. Well, I, I'm a member of a union. However, I don't. You know, oh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? No, I think that um, I. Oh, I can't be bothered with them. If it, they get if it, terribly cross, don't they? They're always shouting, and I think they're brilliant. When I watch an old episode of The Rag Trade, and Miriam Carlin shouts, "Everybody out!" I like yeah. that. Nobody's ever done that around me, ever, once. And I thought being in a union would be that sort of thing. You'd be doing whatever you were doing, and suddenly someone blows a whistle, goes, everybody out! All ah. that happens is they no, all that happens is they send me junk mail in the post. Would you like to vote for this person you've not heard of to be the staff representative in charge of litter bins? I don't care! Why are you wasting my time? 18 quid a month, and I'm, I'm paying so I can get this crap sent to me. I don't care. You uh, particularly enjoy the salutation on those emails, don't you? Don't you, dear? I don't, I don't like... Hi, comrades. No. Who? No, 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 no. No. Makes the blood boil. Not. Well, it does, because again, what you've got there... Rag trade? Absolutely fine. If you're doing something set in a dystopian future, comrade, absolutely fine. 
Don't send me emails calling me that. Don't be absurd. Stop it. No. At least for 18 quid a month, you could at least put my name or sir, dear sir. Yes. Brackets or madam. That's it. That's all that you need to do. 18 Maybe. quid a month. Maybe it would come through your door on uh, some fine manila. Saying, dear Paul, well, yes. how do you fancy a strike next Tuesday? About two. About two. Cakes outside. Cakes outside. Half an hour or so. Back to it after that. Little break. Lovely. I yeah. would vote for that in a heartbeat. No, yeah. Dear comrades, would you like to be on strike for six months? No. No, I would no. not. No, no. I, no. I, I like money. I like the money I earn. Uh, so again, it's this fascinating mix that I seem to have of being on the one hand quite quite a harsh socialist in certain ideas when it comes to social mobility and that, and on the other hand, being some sort of a baronial feudalist. I think that your socialist ideals and mm. your um, right-wing ideals... Yeah. All centre around you sort of being in charge of a some form of state. Well, it, well, it doesn't have to be a country. Not even well, a whole country. All right, country. then. A, a principality. A, a uh, principality or yeah. the BBC. Yes. Or something like that. Give me that and I'll show you how to do it properly. But you can use... I don't want to take over, but you could use that as the model for the other things. I don't want to take over, but... But yeah, but yeah, like, that, if you want, no, if you want to take that model that I have created, this this Garden of Eden, if you want to take that and run with it and apply my BBC structure to the NHS, to the Ministry of Defence, and so on and so on, well, absolutely fine. I'm not going to charge you for it, not much. No, so long as you are uh, recognised as the progenitor <coughs> of this sort of design for living. That's the key thing, yes. That's Obviously. the key thing. So That's so, got to be there. Regardless of your politics, they mm. all boil down to you being famous. My name being famous. Uh, imagine being famous, famous, and you couldn't just... You'd have to go out... Oh, that lovely no, weather no, like no. this, you'd have to go out with dark glasses and a hat on. No, absolutely No, I don't mean not. famous like that. I mean famous in a sort of... Um, Let's mythological see. way. A mythological way, yeah, there you go, yes. A, a bit like when you watch um, 1984 and there's pictures of Big Brother everywhere and nobody knows who he is, really. If you watch the BBC version, it's Jack Kine who was in charge of the visual effects department. He was Big Brother on there. Well, but uh, yeah. something like that, yeah. Yeah, I so I, I, I see what you want to be. See, the dictator is there. Um, um, but... It's strange, isn't it? Because, um, you know, 1984 is one of those things that it's kind of like... O'Brien, for me, is always the most intriguing character in the book. Oh, you yeah. know, Because he's such a cipher. It's like, well, who is O'Brien? And and mm. what what does he believe? And why yeah. is he there? You know, mm. um, and I, it, it's kind of... A, is O'Brien big brother? Who is O'Brien? I mean, he's, he's one of the most... He is the most intriguing character in the book. Uh, I always think that O'Brien is somebody who's been cracked by the system previously. That's my little theory there, is that he was a Winston type, but he's been cracked by the system over time. And now he's just got that... 
that view that you would only have if you were only exposed to that propaganda, which we're seeing at the moment with the Russia situation, of mm. course. What you've got is people in Russia saying, no, 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 you're, you're absolutely wrong. We're being told this and that's what's happening. But then again, we only think that because of what we're being told. However, it's the BBC, so it's right. So, but maybe that's think, it for me. I can't think O'Brien. who coined the phrase post-truth world, but that's what we're living in. That's what we're living in because yeah. it's kind of like depending upon which um, continuum you're plugged into depends upon mm. your beliefs. So we've got a war going on at the minute, and then you've got one side of it who are just like, you know, no, Putin's all right. Putin's not doing anything wrong. There is no war. Where's the footage of war? Which is not helped by the mainstream media outlets putting out footage from games and claiming it's from the war and all this other stuff. Um, yeah. And so each side seems to be completely in that 1984 world of fabricating evidence for their viewpoint. And then people are choosing, literally choosing which truth they want to believe. It's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting because I'll be honest with you, I've done, I've done no, I, I haven't, I haven't re I haven't got an informed opinion on it that I can give to you, right? No. Because to me it's just like, wow, I can't see what the truth is really. You know what I mean? People just seem to be choosing the or it's like tribal, isn't it almost? Oh god, it's absolutely tribal at the moment. I mean, it is that strange thing on Twitter, for example, where you are either on our side or you're wrong. Mm. Um, there's no room for discussion. And I do occasionally try to have a discussion, but then people don't want to, so you just have to shout at them. I well, Twitter isn't the place for discussion, dear. Oh, no, absolutely not. It's, no, it's... Where is these days? Where do you avoid that tribalism? Because that tribalism... I like to think that I'm there with a foot in both camps, like the Colossus of Rhodes stood there sort of happily shouting at everybody. But where do you go where you can avoid that tribalism? Is there anywhere? Because these days everything's online. We, we talk, we record online. We yeah. do all these things online. Is there anywhere in the real world? The pub isn't the place for that anymore, I don't think. No, I mean, it's so strange how I've, I've seen this sort of develop over the last 10 years, really. It's become very sort of entrenched, isn't it, that your politics... Uh, and it's weird, isn't it, that people who have all the correct politics, but they're, they're not on message with one issue, like Graham Linehan, for example. Yes. He, he held all the correct politics. Absolutely. Um, but he's fallen foul because he, he isn't or wasn't, or I don't know which, um, on message um, with the whole trans debate. So oh. now everybody who he claims he's been friends with for decades mm. is literally t has literally turned on him. It's a strange, strange thing because this again, it's kind of like this. This you have to hold a sort of here's a here's a list of views and opinions you must hold. Otherwise, mm. you're out. Well, absolutely. And I don't know if you saw this week, but um, old Mr. Putin over in Russia, has now started trying to side with J.K. Rowling, which is one of the most bizarre things ever. He made a statement about how, you know, these poor people in the West are being suppressed and being cancelled for having a different view. J.K. Rowling then has to release a statement back at Putin saying, oh, no, 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 not on your side. But the, the way that information is being used from both sides, 
Yeah, it's just whole shit all round, really, isn't it? Whole shit well, parties I, for tea. I just, it's just, to me, I'm just, it's bemuse, bemusement. I mean, politics is downstream of culture. And it's kind of like the moment when, do you remember when David Cameron said he was a Smiths fan? Yes. It's weird, isn't it? Because all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can't like these, I can't hold this opinion now because this person holds this opinion. Um, yeah. I think he was called Medvedev who's the architect. Um, I will have a quick little look because I want to be right on this. We're in strange territory for nice things here. We are, because uh, while you have a little look there, uh, there's an interesting thing there with Cameron. Yeah. Which is that Cameron... I mean, Cameron's the, the perfect career politician, isn't he? Because before the politics, of course, he was head of communications for Carlton Television, which is difficult to say without, you know, gagging because of pure, poor old Thames. Beautiful Thames Television replaced by Carlton. Nice but logo. you've got... Nice logo, but that, doesn't that sum it up? You know, the logo is beautiful. The that sums David Cameron up, I suppose. It does. Cameron in his suit as head of communications, but they don't give a shit about television. What was it? Big society. Oh, that bollocks. Ultimately, what, what you've got people like Cameron, when they get into television, what they want to do is just rip the heart of it out and sell the studios, which yeah. happened at Lenton Lane in Nottingham. It's you what's know, happening now with the country. Studios. Yeah, yeah. They're doing it with the country, you know what I mean? Um... Go on, who were you looking up there? It was Medvedev. So Dmitry mm. Medvedev is the sort of architect of... Um, there was a little piece of Bitter Lake. Do you remember Adam Curtis? Curtis, Adam yeah. Adam Curtis's film, Bitter Lake. Now, I remember Scream Wipe, the... Charlie you know, the Brooker. New Year's Eve one. Mm. The New Year's yeah. Eve one he used to do. Um, yeah. And he did it one year, and he showed this clip of Bitter Lake that isn't in Bitter Lake. Very odd. Uh, but anyway, in that, he was going on about in Russia, they've come up with, they came up with Medvedev many years ago. Um, they'd fund the far-right groups and the far-left groups. And so you're in a position where both groups were dependent upon the same guy for funding, right? So it's very clever. And I can't think what he called it. It was like hiding things in the fog, right? Mm. Now, George Osborne went over and met Medvedev. Um, so that's that's quite interesting because what we've got in this in this country now is you've got a conservative government who are massive champions of the green uh, agenda, you know, net mm. zero and all this other stuff. So it's incredible, isn't it, about how you can cloak your nefarious aims in virtue and um, and hide them really, hiding them in the fog. And I think that that's why we're in, we're in a post truth world. Uh, mm. Whereby, I mean, we remember the Spin Doctors, not the shit band, but we remember the, uh, you know, um, Blur with his Spin uh, Cam, um, Campbell, yes. who, um, you know, has the temerity to still go on the television and complain about things when it's kind of like, hang on a minute, mate, <laughs> you were part of something that was, uh, you know, led to one million deaths in Iraq. Well, yeah, a he war did, based but we've all line. made mistakes, haven't we? Right. And this no, is an example. I... No, no, listen, this is my. What? This is a great example, right? Because you like Campbell because he agrees with you on Brexit. Yes. Do you see how it works? Yes. I, I think so what Putin, I think, and if you agree with me, you're right. That's... Yeah, on this one issue. And then yeah. you won't agree with him on the next. So what you do Correct. is you ensure that you ascribe to this set list of opinions which are correct, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're all right, unless you diverge from that, which is what Linehan did. Now, so if you think about it, what Putin's doing here is he's now linking himself to a viewpoint that has made the... 
<laughs> he knew that J.K. Rowling wouldn't be happy with it, right? Mm. Knew, totally. Mm. Mm. However, it destabilizes groups and tribal groups. Yes. And so that's what it's all about. Politicians do this stuff in order to get people like us arguing, because if people are divided, they're easier to control. Absolutely. But on the other hand, what I what I personally despise is the fact that, say, for example, these days, what you've got is arseholes, is the only way to think of them, who, whenever Campbell puts anything on Twitter... I just have to go down about three replies before someone says, well, that's a fine thing to say, considering what you did in Iraq, dodgy dossier, hashtag, and all this. Shut up. You can't no, just no, no, focus no, no, on no, no, that no. You can't thing. just ignore. No. You can't you just ignore fabricating evidence to take us into a war which led to the slaughter of a million innocent people. Come no, now, No, you Paul. don't. You don't. Not, not at all. But on the other hand... But he agrees with some... me on Brexit. Therefore, no, 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 it's, he's no, a no, good no. man. No, not quite that, no. But if he goes on Twitter and he says, oh, it's a sunny day today, well, that's easy for you to say. It's not a sunny day in Iraq. Don't be boring. That's it's boring. It's not being boring. There's got it to is. be some fun. Oh, you're so original that you've said that. How many tweets have I had to roll down now? Two? Oh, there's someone saying it. So what? Be less boring. Obviously. Obviously we're not going to forget that. We won't. No, 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 no. But it's not about forgetting saying that. It's... it's not about forgetting that. It's just the fact that these people have been able to lie and cheat. And in the when you get to Iraq and Afghanistan, they've been able to engage in wholesale mechanical slaughter of yeah. millions of people, right? Yes. And they've completely destabilised the world, right? And what? The celebrities that are on cosy breakfast couches. Well, my new book. So it's it's that sort of sense of injustice. Well, right, but on the other hand, dear. on the other hand, the chap's got a right to say, "Oh, I'm going to have roast lamb today." You don't no. have to just every because time he, doesn't... he should be he should be he should be in prison, right? right? Eating a great big shovelful of porridge. That's where he should be. He shouldn't be eating roast lamb. He shouldn't be selling his bloody, um, you know, his new book. He shouldn't be doing any of these things. Blur, again, another person who shouldn't. These are not... Because now Blur is like, you know, he's, he's sort of... Because Blur came out on the side of Brexit. It's like that. Oh, I quite like Blair now. And George W. Bush laying a wreath last week on the 19th anniversary of when he ordered the bombing of Baghdad. He's laying a wreath for the victims of Ukraine saying, all war criminals should be prosecuted. And it's like, yeah, fucking you first, mate. And we stomach this shit. And if you are able, if you are able to forgive these people without any form of justice, people are going to feel injustice. I feel injustice about Campbell and Blur and all these other wankers, don't you? Well, yes, but on the other hand, I also don't want to be bored. Well... Better bored I think than that's, dead. Yeah, well, absolutely, I agree with that. I would prefer to be bored briefly than dead. But on the other hand, just you know, all right, we all know this. Why do you? Why do you have to think you're staggeringly, staggeringly original by saying it when he just says, "Oh, I might go for a walk." Why? Why because does that he require? Is a man who has lied in order to con the country into going into a war, which has led to like weddings being bombed, where three generations of the same family have all been slaughtered, and no one gives a shit because the brown. And it's that's that's what people think. No, no, it's not yeah. that. I think every, no people. Well, people should give a shit, no matter of any of that sort of thing. Give a shit straight away. But on the other hand. 
just be less boring on Twitter. I think that's my point here. Well, I think he should be in in the in the words of Otis Redding, he should be sitting in the dark of the Hague, right? And he should be tried for war crimes, and so should Tony Blair because they are, but and so should George W. Bush, and all of those people who lied to get us into a war, right? That right. killed a lot of innocent people. That's my point, and you know. When justice fails the common man, they are probably, in desperation, going to go on Twitter and tell him he shouldn't be enjoying roast lamb as he's murdered a lot of people. What's that saying, that ancient Greek one? Murder one man, you're a murderer. Murder a thousand, um, you're a mass murderer. Murder a million, you're a god. Or something like that. And, and we seem to have slid into that world. I mean, people still go on about, you know... Uh, what Stalin did and what Hitler did and all this other stuff. And, and quite rightly, these people are reviled, you know, as, as the most notorious mass murderers in history. Mm. We, have the, we have our modern versions sat on cosy couches on BBC Breakfast Time going, well, the football today. And it's just like, fuck off. It's still boring, isn't it? Well, it can be two things. It can be two things. It can be outrageous and boring all at the same time. Those who can get you to believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities, in the words I'm of I'm not Voltaire. believing in absurdity. I believe that maybe Alistair Campbell's going to have roast lamb. And it, I think, ooh, fair enough, Alistair. Have roast lamb. Doesn't mean you're not a war criminal. You can be a war criminal now. and eat. Getting very <laughs> cross now. Oh, I think we should change right. the subject. I'll put um, something in shot that's nice. Look, there we go. Look, there we go. go. Oh. Uh, the the show which shouldn't speak its name. One of the nice things yeah. I've got this week. Go on. Um, speaking of, as we weren't, from from the sublime to the ridiculous, or, or, or maybe the other way around, from the ridiculous to the sublime, um, Paul, for the benefit of those listening, just held up a Peter Hanning book. A I book did. written about the show which dare not speak its name. No. Um, yeah, called The Key to Time. Um, I got this when I was nine. I got it the year it came out. Oh my God, I poured over this. That's why it's falling to bits slightly. I poured over this book. And what's your assessment of Peter Hannan's writing? Well, I think that considering he was writing these things when there wasn't an awful lot out, I mean, bear in mind, 84, (coughs) there hadn't been sort of like, you know, lots of books written on the subject, people delving into the written archives of the BBC at Caversham. You didn't have all the old shows out on video. So I think considering that, it's a very good book. It's only later, when you actually start to read about these things, um, that you realise that you might have not always been entirely accurate. You went... Now, that'll be Uh, all right on the audio recording, but repeat it for me. uh, You realise that under those circumstances, he may not always have been entirely accurate. Is my assessment. Yeah, yeah. and and that's a f- I suppose that is actually fair enough, isn't it? There mm. was a paucity of material around at the time, mm. and we hadn't had the sort of <clears throat> I think the cancel. Oh, no, we can't go on about Doctor Who, uh, but the cancellation in eighty nine did lead to a lot of well, because there was no new material. We dug, we dug, we dug, we dug, we dug, didn't we? However, Peter Hannon, I've got uh, one of his Doctor Who books here, uh, which is even worse, a celebration. Um, which is awful. It's got that awful log on it. However, his uh, the, what I got uh, this week, his book, The Television Sherlock Holmes, about Jeremy Brett, is mm. 
is fan. It's not about Jeremy Brett, rather. It's the history of uh, televised doc Sherlock Holmes. Um, <laughs> it's a history of televised Doctor. Uh, bloody hell, I did it again. Uh, Sherlock Holmes. Um, the section on the Brett series is f- so good. The access he had to Michael Cox, who um, died last year, madly enough. Mm. But Michael mm. Cox being a great example of what Granada used to do with people. And, uh, you know, he was kind of like, um, he drove the bloody bus, you know, at Granada. Mm. He, he drove the cast of Coronation Street around. And then he sort of, he was, he was, he was doing all the tea and stuff like that. Then he became, I think he was one of the producers on Coronation Street. Uh, then he became a producer on A Family at War, which is good for you, and worked his way up. And then in 1980, this this Kenny working class chap um, realised that in 1980, the Sherlock Holmes books were out of copyright. Mm. And so he went to the guys at Granada who were in charge at the time and said, look, why don't we do the proper Sherlock Holmes? Why don't we do it properly? Um, and this went on for a few years, but eventually, so there was a mad load of circumstances and one of the conditions the executive said was great but you must get someone like Jeremy Brett to play the lead and they got Jeremy Brett um, and they also said you've got to find match funding in the US um, so Jeremy Brett's wife being June Wilson who ran PBS's what was it the mystery Guan Yu um, mystery uh, masterpiece theater something like that yeah. No, it was it was mystery summit or other. It's in the book. Anyway, it doesn't right. matter. So mm. they were like, right. So there's the US arm of it. There's everything. And so um, the access they've got to um, Michael Cox in this is is fantastic. The way he tells the whole story of it, um, and the way that the it's one of those books that has got photographs you won't see anywhere. <coughs> you know, there's there's in depth interviews with David Burke in here. Um, mm. You know. And, and Cox was the one who talked about how he would transform Dr. Watson's image, you know, from being the Nigel Stock, hey, you astonish me, Holmes. Yeah. Um, and he did this thing called the Baker Street File where he went through all the books, and this was the Bible for the production team. Um, mm. And part of it is reproduced in here. So a little... Um, a little slice of that is uh, clothes and dress. So one, in the morning, about 8.30am, Holmes lounged about in his purple dressing gown reading the agony column of the Times. And in brackets after that, it tells you which story it was from, uh, which is one that they didn't dramatise, the engineer's thumb. Um, And then he goes through, as you can see, um, a checklist of all the clues that are in the books about how he dressed, what brand of cigarettes Watson smoked, um, so it, that's why it's so, you know, spot on. And what I mm. love about this book as well is they took Sidney Paget's drawings, and they, as you can see, there's the original illustrations from the London Strand, and there's how it was realised on the Granada show. Mm. And so they took the illustrations as their source material for how the shots would be composed. Um, but there's some great things, like he he went round all these stately homes, he couldn't find one that had a, a tree that gave the correct shadow for the Musgrave ritual. And so he changed the story because he was like, right, we'll have it as a weather vane with a tree on it. And that's right. what cast the shadow. Which is one of the nicest bits in that show. And it's not canonical, it's not in the book. So Michael Cox, uh, I know what you're all thinking at home, Cox. You know what I mean? And that's that's the trouble. 
That's the mm. trouble these days. People are just thinking of these puerile jokes instead of oh, yeah. dragging bloody Campbell Claret down to the to, to the Hague. <laughs> um, uh, that's the problem these days. Um, so um, it's a fantastic book, and you get a copy of it delivered for about a fiver. So you did three versions of it, one in 86, one in 91, which is the one I've got. But he did one when the series finished. But if you want that, it's about 30 quid. And I'm not prepared. Well, I might do now I've read this. It's fantastic. Mm. Look at the photographs in this. Oh, that's beautiful. Just so good. It's such a good book. I'll probably And I know that we've talked about um, Granada's Sherlock Holmes quite quite a few times. Oh, I'm getting tingly looking at it. Sorry, Paul. Oh, no, it really does. It stands up, doesn't it? But what I love there is the fact that you've got Michael Cox, like you say, as someone who sort of joins right at sort of pretty much the bottom in terms yeah. of production. And then up he goes until he's he's got that series. It's a wonderful organisation, I think. I, and it's a strange one, isn't it? Because, again, with uh, commercial television, I always think that we've got our cut-off date of 1992. Oh, and of course, that's a point. Isn't the date? There the you actual go. date coming up. Yes, it is. But we've got, um, yeah, we've got that cutoff point. Yeah, twenty years, thirty years actually. Thirty since since things stopped. Thirty being nice. I put it down to sort of the last time that the franchises swapped over, and we lost Thames and gained Carlton, and we got Meridian and things like that. Dreadful, uh, awful. Because with that structure at Granada, I, that is why you've got a show called Coronation Street and not Florizel Street. Because everybody's opinion mattered. And of course, famously, but not apocryphally, um, a group of people at Granada were watching the first episode of Corrie on the closed circuit around the building. And it was a cleaning lady. No, it wasn't. It was the lady who delivered the teas on a big trolley who said, Florizel Street, that sounds like a detergent. So they scrapped the name and went with this alternative. You know, I, I love that fact that there was that importance. Very Joan Littlewood style of approaching yeah. things, isn't it? Where everybody's voice is as important as the people apparently in charge. So, absolutely brilliant. And, mm. and ITV for you, dear. One for ITV. you. Yeah. Well, my reappraisal of ITV does continue up until mm. 1992. It does... Because suddenly you've got, you know, you've got all of these production houses all over the country. I I love the fact that they all had their big studios that they maybe didn't need, but they do the Saturday banana with Bill Oddie or something from them. That sort of thing. That's wonderful. And well, it's a I mean, bloody shame. It was the it was the brainchild of Sidney Bernstein, wasn't it, Granada? Mm. Um Wasn't he Lou Grade's brother? Well, I don't think he may have been. That's the first time I I've think heard he that was. One. I think he was related to. I'm not sure. There um, could be a relation. I think certainly just you know coming to Manchester, where famously um, a friend of mine once wrote a poem, very short poem called "Oh, what a surprise! It's raining in Manchester." No, he didn't. He wrote a poem called "What a surprise! It's raining in Manchester," but the poem went. Oh, what a surprise, it's raining in Manchester. And apparently the profound thing was that the poem was longer than the title. I thought that was horseshit. But to go to Granada, where famously Granada land, where it's just going to rain all the time, and to name it after somewhere that you went to in Spain and liked. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Didn't you have Granada theatres before that? You did. You had Granada theatres, Granada cinemas. Yeah, that's right. Certainly yeah. the Granada cinemas, I remember being around when I was very young. Um... Yeah, so you had that whole that whole empire. 
this. Well, I'm going to buy that final version. Right? I'm going to I'm going to do the thirty quid and get that, so you can have this. Um, oh. Because well, you've changed your mind quickly. There, you, you you've decided in two minutes that no, you have to. It's. Do you know what my uh, Peter Hannon with this book? Mm. It, it's sort of like, and this speaks to what you were saying when you've actually got access to the source, you mm. know. And Jim Wyndham Davis is in there, who was the producer of Crib. Do you remember Crib? Double B. Yeah. He was a Victorian detective. So it's very yes. much a proto-Sherlock Holmes, wasn't it, really? Yeah. And uh, yeah. did Granada do the rivals of Sherlock Holmes in the they 70s? They did, yes. They did. So they were always chomping at the bit. It's great that the um, the execs, though, really you know, wanted to invest in this. Um, mm. And the ratings were never particularly good. Um, you know, but it was the sort of the showcase to the world of what they can do. Mm. And you had Coronation Street, you know, where Baker Street ran out on the set at Castlefield Studios. You, Coronation Street began, you mm. know. And then the other end, uh, there was an old Victorian warehouse that they'd done up, you know, as a prop store and all the other stuff. Like It's just, oh, man. I mean, we've really, really lost so much in this country. Now it's ITV Granada. No. No, absolutely no. not. No. But no, what about no. this? Go on. <sighs> Barry Cryer and Willie Rushton, two old farts in the night. Yes, I've got the VHS of that this week because it hasn't been released on. I, no. I, I will capture this. I will digitise this. And the next thing, Bob will decide to put it out on DVD. And I'll be like that. Oh, More than likely. Brilliant. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but um, I mean, this tour um, ended mm. because... Look at that for a review. The comedic equivalent to a large G&T. Perfect. The Independent. Perfect. Um, but Rushton died, didn't he? So they stopped doing this show. Sadly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, um, that was a big shock when that happened, I remember, Willie Rushton dying. I think... I remember UK operations. Gold. Yeah, it was. UK Gold showed um, his Jack and Ori, which is one of the... Few ones where you can actually say we've got a full run of Jack and Ori stories here from uh, I think about seventy five, where he does the stories of Winnie the Pooh, and it's filmed on summer on film all on location. Just glorious! Oh, it's beautiful stuff. Just glorious! A very nice thing indeed. I mean, mm. you know, um, oh, I forgot the other. We'll, we'll go back to that. Um, yeah, I I, I loved Willie Rushton. I think we all did, <clears throat> you know. Um, we used to have these sort of avuncular uncles. Um, that uh, Television doesn't seem to want any of this anymore, does it? It just wants rubbish, to be quite honest with you. What's it been on the telly it's... this week, Paul? Because you watched some of the other night. You were sending me WhatsApps. I think it was something that uh, involved cookery. <clears throat> oh! That was a disappointment. Well, I was just... I thought, well, let's have a look at something that's being made currently, largely because I couldn't find the Blu-ray remote. So I popped BBC One on, and you've got MasterChef. MasterChef. Was Anthony Anerley um, in there? No Anerley action at all, I'm afraid. No, I was disappointed. No, Uh, MasterChef to me is Lloyd Grossman, of course. I didn't know he wasn't on it anymore. No, no, he's not on it. It's not him. What you've got is you've got these two fellas... Who are the worst actors in the world? They are absolutely dreadful. You've got one of them who looks like an egg, um, mm. yeah, just a complete egg yes. with glasses on. 
And what he's most famous for, from what I can see, is that um, he's got an Instagram account. And on Instagram, his wife posts photographs of him. But he'll be doing all of these strange poses, you know, in the park, as though he's doing keep fit. So he'll have a leg up on the bench and he'll be leaning on his knee and stuff like that. And his wife puts quite a few pictures up every single day. And Greg Wallace immediately jumps on that and goes, love that one, print it. It doesn't matter what the photo is <laughs> Honestly, every single one, print that one too. Oh, lovely. Get it printed. All of them. So he must have this colour printer at home just churning out pictures I imagine of they're framed and on his wall. Oh, I would imagine. So he's not a man to just print and then put them in the slush no. pile. No, he'll, no, you're he'll have a room them. of himself posing. So you've got him. And then you've got this other chap, John something, who looks like a, a leather car seat. Um, but... Leather car seat. It's got like Nigel Haver's hair. Sort of, but a bit spikier. Um, oh, and, I see. So kind of yeah. Nigel Kennedy stroke Nigel Havers. Bit like that. With, he's got a boil on but, his neck. I, I don't think he's got that. But he, Do you remember when Nigel like... Kennedy was on Blue Peter and he was playing the violin and all the kids in the nation, all they could think of was why has he got that massive boil on his neck? Absolutely. Which When I he puts quite... the violin. Yeah, I was worried about that at the time. Cause I, I, I was. was... I played the violin, of course, and I worried that it was something to do with the with the chin position or something. It was obviously. Well, Am I'm I going to one. get a boy a boil? The little Paul thought. Absolutely, and consequently stopped playing. Yes, no more Cressington for me, Mater. Oh, absolutely not. No, no more of that nonsense. No, no, no. no, no. So, um, yeah, Master Chef, <clears throat> Master Chef, the, the car seat man. Uh, I don't know what's going on with him. Whenever it cut to him. You'd think, oh, it's just a freeze frame, because he'd just be stuck with the. Yeah. And, then they, and then they cut back uh, to somebody chatting about food, and you go back, and he would have changed the position, but it would just be. Maybe he was looking uh, at Greg's photos. Well, it could be that. That could be firming up in the park. Maybe that's what it was. But ultimately, he would be quite bored looking, and then just go, "I am very excited by this." No, you're not. The two no. of them are the world's worst actors. They go on there like they're on that other terrible programme, The Apprentice. Now, there's a programme. Oh. You could you could wipe out the contestants for for that, and the world would not suffer at all. Dreadful no. people. It's a bit like <clears> that. <throat> you know, people... Pre- this is very important. It's yes. not... You're cooking a tiramisu. It's not important. Have you ever watched The Apprentice? I have once. Why? Well, I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. And it just seemed to be the a way of collecting together the biggest cocks in the country. Which is what you should call it. UK's biggest cocks. Cocks in the country. I'd watch that. Cocks in the country. Michael Cox discussing Presents. locations for the Sherlock Holmes TV series. Now that I would watch. That'd be brilliant, wouldn't it? That would be wonderful. Better than The Apprentice. Certainly better than MasterChef. It angered me. But not even to the point where I could become... Happily apoplectic. It was just, well, what's this shit? Nearly as bad as that program. I don't know if you've seen it with that woman, Stacey Dooley, where <sighs> she gets, yeah, where she's got a contestant and the contestant gets shown around a house by three different people all saying, this is my house. And at the end, you've got to guess who was telling the truth and who owns the house. And it's called, this is my house. That's just like through the keyhole. Through the bummel, it's it's so much worse than through the keyhole, though. Because first of all, you've got this dooley woman squawking away like a parrot. But also, I don't care who owns the house. No, 
There's this modern obsession, though, isn't there? All the time you seem to get on social media. Oh, go on to Right Move and put this address in. Have a look at the house. It's hideous. It's just like, who gives a shit? I don't care. And you see, it used to be when... <coughs> when Through the Keyhole was first on. Yeah, you know, Lloyd you Grossman. Had Lloyd Grossman, David Frost, and you had people, like celebrities, who lived in lovely houses. You know, they would either be obviously very rich or they'd have these big rambling Victorian places. Now no bugger can afford those. So they go, oh, no. let's go through the keyhole. And you're looking around a perfectly average two-bedroom flat... And apparently it belongs to someone from Geordie Shaw or mm. something. But it's just, a, I don't care. I don't care. It's the celebration of mediocrity. Oh, it needs to stop. You know, I mean, Coronation Street, which you just mentioned, you know, mm. was, was sort of, well, it was life with the boring bits taken out, wasn't it? But yes. I mean, it wasn't, you know, there was there was flair to it. There was There was sort of, there was a heartbeat to it and i don't think that i don't think modern television has a heartbeat does it really there was love to it i think there's there's two lovely clips of Corrie, which i absolutely adore uh both with um elsie well elsie tanner well pat phoenix two little pat phoenix clips and there's one where she's having a bit of a barney with uh some fella and then he walks out and the camera sort of like closes in on her and the, the closing music starts playing as it closes in. And clearly, Pat is still in the moment because she mouths the words, fuck's sake. <laughs> on camera, just goes, fuck's sake. <clears throat> but the music's coming in, but you can see it. So there's that one. And there's another one where she's in the Rovers, 1973. She has a bit of a chat with Betty, and then she walks through to the snug. And the, and the camera cracks her on the back of the head as she walks through the doors. And yeah. then she just turns around and she gives that beautiful look to whoever's pushing that camera. Raised eyebrow and we'll have a word about that later. And then they just keep going with the scene and then a boom mic drops in momentarily. And it's just... And it went out. You know, Pat Phoenix getting that boof on with a bang. But beautiful that that went out. Yeah. That's, yeah. Absolute, that's not there anymore, of course. That would be removed in edit. Oh, they would course. CGI something out of it. Well, the other Granada-themed um, thing... Um, that I got this week mm. was titled Granada's Greatest Detective, um, uh. which is from Phantom Publishing. And I'm afraid, again, I don't know who's doing your artwork, Phantom, but it, it, you, you know, it, you're not going to sell many with the cover like that. Um, again, as as these things are, there's no photographs in it um, mm -hmm. because, and that's probably why. Well, it's obviously why they went for an art. They go they go for artwork covers so that mm. they don't have to fall foul of. Uh, and and I understand that they got to keep costs down. And and mm. I'm hoping that the uh, the reviews are good. Um, mm. So I'm hoping that it's um, a good book. Um, but one book that the wonderful people at um, Ten Acre, Ten Acre, Films? Acre yes. um, David and uh, sorry. Um, God, I've forgotten his bloody name. Anyway, uh, it'll come to me. Um, he he even... Anyway, um, you know, um, it's Totally Tasteless, the JNT book, which is go. rammed, rammed. It's a feast for the eyes with photographs. The, uh, mm. you know, they've got... The, the JNT collection is amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I always thought JNT was uh, sort of like Russell Grant with a beard. Um, you know, he looks very like him. Uh, but there's some photos of the younger Russell where he, uh, uh, 
John Nathan Turner, um, mm. where he doesn't look like that. Um, but there's some cracking photographs in here. Not had the time to read it yet. You have, because you Ooh, caught yes. the earlier imprint I did. of it. So why oh. don't you tell the lovely boys and girls at home why they sh- and you should buy this, by the way. If you're why a fan of Doctor Who. Even if you're not, it's a, yeah. it's a fascinating... Well, I'll tell you the reasons why. First of all, um, it's a Richard Marson book. Richard Marson, formerly editor of Blue Peter, um, an absolutely wonderful editor. When um, Long after even I had stopped watching, but he was really there in its uh, late 90s, early 2000s heyday. <laughs> When it was on three times a week live um, from from TC3, it usually seemed to be coming from. Um, and turning it back into something of a golden age, mm. really, of um, the sort of programme that we think of with, you know, John Noakes and Peter Purvis and Valerie Singleton. Well, there's kids now who think of their era of Blue Peter in pretty much the same way, in a way that I don't think has happened before. Um, so that's his background. <clears throat> but then he had to leave because of a competition where mm. something went wrong during a phone-in and they had kids visiting the studio. And I think, I could be wrong, I think that they basically said, oh, can you get on the phone and just, you know, we're going to call you up to one of these visiting kids. And, of course, the papers get hold of that. And a bit like we were saying the other day with clickbait, this is an early form of clickbait, that suddenly becomes a massive story. Yeah, And it's a nothing. It's a production glitch that they dealt with live on air. So he left that job. But the books he has written since, um, his biography of um, Verity Lambert, Drama and Delight, that's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. His own books, his Blue Peter Diaries, beautiful. But the JNT book. JNT is a divisive figure, mm. I think it's fair to say, um, <clears throat> as a producer. Um, something that I've learned recently is that Triangle was his idea. Um, oh. So... That makes me love him all the more. Um, John Nathan Turner is a producer who, if someone had come up with the idea for Strictly back then and given it to him, it would have been bigger and better and more glitzy and much more camp and everything than it is now. That would have been perfect for him. But it does also talk about the side of him, Hmm. which was a little bit more seedy, possibly. Um, the side of him and his then partner, Gary Downey, um, and how they would occasionally take advantage of young fans um, at conventions and things like that, or try their luck to. Um, so you do have that side, and it's fascinating in the sort of the post-Savile era to read about mm. something that was taking place at the time, and people were aware of again. You know, a bit like how you get people who say, well, everyone knew what Jimmy was up to. Well, you get people who can tell you exactly the same about John and Gary. Everybody knew what they were like. Um, But, of course, at the time, nothing is said, nothing is done, for whatever reason. And the book sort of focuses in on that. And um, he's done this fascinating section on how he ended up alone in the dark at Threshold House, where the offices were, just him and Gary Downey in the office. And the way he writes it, he writes that section like it's a thriller. But my God, it's it's beautiful stuff. It's a wonderful book. One of my favourite books I've ever read, to be honest. It's wonderful. Highly Didn't you have personal experience of this? Uh, yes, I did. I, I, I was almost caught by the claw of Downey. Well, yeah, I was at a Doctor Who thing when I was... Um, 
20, I think, and bit pissed. And Firm suddenly, of Fetlock. Oh, yeah, I was hopeful head of her, even. I know. Amazing. Head of Spungald. That's the sort of thing, but, well, dyed pillarbox red, I think, on the occasion. But I had that with uh, Gary Downey um, finding me at the bar and suddenly taking my hand, you know, just gripping my hand and looking at it and studying it and um, trailing his finger back and forth across it and said, you very interesting palms. And I'm pissed, so thank you. John's a palmist. Did you know that? John can read people's palms. And I'm thinking... John Nathan Turner can read people's palms. Oh, yeah. John can read palms. Would you like him to read your palm? He's just back in our room. But if you'd like to come with me, then I'm sure he'd read your palm. Um, and I was allowing myself, don't know what was going on, yeah. to be taken by the hand slowly from the bar. And luckily, um, yes, luckily a friend of mine I was with um, caught wind of the situation, distracted me by saying, oh, look, there's Debbie Watling. Oh. And and I broke free, but I could have ended up the filling of a rather exciting TV production sandwich there. Yes, you could, dear, from uh, everything you've told me about the book. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it, mm. and I'm glad I don't have to pay, what is it, £300 or whatever people were charging for, are still probably charging for the first printing of it. Indeed, yeah. Um, it's a wonderful little expose. Highly, highly recommended. I the photos are brilliant. The photos yes. alone are, are just worth seeing. Uh, worth well, didn't you say there's part. a photo in there where it is um, illustrated with the words uh, John and Gary with the Barkers or something? Because of course, yeah, hang on, I'll find that. Yeah, yeah um, doable Barkers was the phrase that um, JNT and Gary Downey used to describe young chaps who they wouldn't mind having a bit of fun with. They were doable Barkers. Yes, it's nice to know I was briefly in that uh, on that. You were list. almost a Barker. That was very nearly doable, I think. You were. So so what what is the origin of the phrase, Barkers, do we know? I've, well it comes, I think, from J and T and Gary. Um I think Barkers were simply fans who were barking mad at the time. And there right. were a lot of them, of course, who would get very passionate about the series. And if it wasn't being made the way they wanted, then it was no good, essentially. But, of course, you look back and you've got these fans saying that sort of thing from the mid-70s with Tom Baker onwards. So, yeah, the series develops and it rolls on. Have you got the photo there? I'm trying to find it. Um, I'm just going through it now. There are a lot of photos. It's an His weight really goes up and down, doesn't it? It does, which I suspect may have been to do with the fact that he was fond of the drink as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So I suspect um, that may have been, been a bit of a part of it. There's some great photographs in here. There's some great stuff in here. Um, Viewers of nice things at this point may like to imagine Mr. Livesley as an elderly librarian, librarian. looking at some pornographic lithographs. Yes, yes, I'm trying so. I'm trying to find the, uh, the, the bit. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, did I all... dream it? Uh, um... Uh, Maybe I did. Um, I can't. I can't find it. Anyway, um, obviously, um, I dreamt that. Um, oh. All right, or it might be in something else. But yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that. That should be a good one. As should Granada's Greatest Detective. Hmm. Um, got any nice well, things a, this week? No nice things, actually. No, I just seem to have worked. Or and the nicest thing that I think has happened though is <clears> today <throat> the the clocks have altered. 
Ah, yes. Uh, oh, I love that. You love I, that. I, I absolutely love the fact that we still fanny around with the clocks and we expect other people to take us seriously when we do it. It's such a nonsense thing to do. I don't think anyone else does it, do they? They don't shift their clocks. America can't because they're too busy having different time zones because they're common. That's Whereas true. Twice a year, we go, have an extra hour. Oh, lose an hour now. Ah. But... I love that. Is it? And it came in during World War Two, didn't it? Is that right? I'm not entirely certain. Probably. I mean, I, th- I think it that's, did. Uh, World War One is why the boozers close at eleven, isn't it? Or is is that World War Two as well? I'm not sure actually. Yeah, it was something I, I, like that. I like the fact that we still do it. We don't have to, but we do. Yes, I like that. Yes, I, like that. Um, I remember that's life having a campaign to get rid of it. I remember footage of sort of uh, icy roads with with it being dark in the winter and it was like, ooh, we need to get rid of this. And Now, we've I, talked about this and various hate campaigns we have, like before. We have. Um, I disapprove of this one as much as the rest. Yes, um, so. yes, I'm certain you do. Well, it's kind of like, you know, it's one of those things, there's, there's no greater feeling than when the country shuts down due to snow and you're sat mm. in the house having your cup of bovril and uh, some toast. Obviously, uh, we are pre-10am as toast is being partaken. Uh, toast is banned after 10. Toast Absolutely is banned after not. 10. And that's that's something. That's a campaign I can get behind. Yes. That's absolute. a campaign. There should be a, a sort of to- a bread clock whereby, mm. you know, pre-10am, uh, pre the, the bread is toasted. And mm. then afterwards, it's just a piece of, of normal, ordinary bread. It's it's so straightforward, and I don't understand why we don't have a union campaigning for this. If you dear comrades, paper-ish. dear comrades, ish, yeah, right, okay, but dear comrades, I could cope with that if it was about the toast. If we were having a ballot, yes, uh, to ban toasted bread products after ten a.m. in glorious Carmichael's Republic. Absolutely. Then yes, yes, yes. I'm certain we could get. They direct huge um, statues of of toast all over the country. I think so. Of, of you, a loaf like, of Warburtons, atlas yes. underneath. That's exactly sort of, it. With yeah. a loaf of bread, maybe on your shoulder. Something like that, yeah. With yeah. giving a scornful look in, into the middle distance, just in case anybody dared after yes. ten a.m. to go near the toaster, shouldn't be allowed. It's just wrong. It shouldn't it? be allowed. There should be policemen issued with colour charts, and they mm. should be able to stop people if they're eating bread-based products on the street. And they should be able to sort of write, okay, twenty-five years, Devil's Island for you, Sonny. Absolutely. Oh, I spoke to someone eating a toasted sausage butty at 3pm in the afternoon. They, that's wrong, they that's tried. breakfast. That, uh, sausages just... as well. I mean, sausages must be accompanied by mash or chips after 10. After 10, <sighs> after 10 easily. Weatherspoon yeah. stopped serving breakfast at 10.30. Well, they've gone half an hour too far. As usual, they could do it well, and they've decided to just get it a bit wrong. A bit wrong. But they're, that... they're, they're trying. No, no, that angers me more than getting it completely wrong. You know, Is you're it? so close to being right, but you you just bugger it up at the end. No, no, no. sympathy for that sort of thing. No. Um, of course, burgers at McDonald's have a toasted bun on the inside. So but we're talking about toast. food, so this doesn't matter at all, does it? Because what is that? I mean, it's what, 30% beef in a burger? I have no idea. Maybe, maybe you... Of- 
the leather car seat man would pull his face for that one. He might actually do a face. He might actually do a face. He should do a face because that one's absolutely wrong. But uh, wasn't he a DI? Is it not Nick Knowles? We're on about. No, No. it looks like him. No, I'm trying to John something. John John Tarod. That's the name. Don't know him. I I I was thinking it was Nick Knowles. Now doesn't he do that one about don't break into your house or something? No, he did a thing years ago with uh, about. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, he was fixing houses up, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. He was yeah. like wearing them tool belts with hammers hanging on them and stuff. Yeah, but he always looks a bit like um, that man who used to be on Radio One, Gary something. I think. Ooh, Gary, Gary Davis. Dave. Yes, he looks a bit mm. like a little bit like him in my mind. So no, I'm not so, interested. Now you know why I was saying he had a Nigel Havers hairdo. Because uh, Nick yes. Knowles has got the old Nigel Havers vibe going on. Uh, he does, doesn't he? Yes. Did Nigel Havers have a father who was in fa- fa- Thatcher's? Hey, I'm in Murphy's mob, um, in Thatcher's cabinet. Something like Lord that. Havers. Something like that. Mm. I always think of. Um, I get confused, and I think of Nigel Davenport as being his dad. Remember Nigel Davenport? Hmm. Of course. Oh yeah. Nigel Davenport. Now, there's a man who looked 90 when he must have been 10. Yeah. Wonderful-looking chap. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Nigel that. Davenport was smashing. Uh, wasn't he in something with Nairi Dawn Porter? Um, Probably. I've, I've got a book up there, uh, Do You Remember Television book. Do you? To quote, um, what's his name? Bruce Robinson. Um Yeah, there's a great documentary on Withnail, isn't there, where he's on about it. was a makeup lady at uh, Thames. Who used to mm. t- when he got Danny's voice, you know, uh, hair is your aerials, man. Uh, this is why. The, this is the reason why all uh, both men are uptight and all that. And he said mm. it was a makeup lady at Thames when she was doing mm. him up. She'd be talking to him. Do you understand? <laughs> Do you? <laughs> <laughs> and so that became Danny's voice. Um, mm. So yeah, what were we on about? I've forgotten now. Nigel the clock's altering. The clock's yes. altering. Yes, the clock's yes. altering. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, the clock's altering in winter is is always especially nice because it oh, gives you that, that darker morning, doesn't it? Or is it a lighter oh. morning? I can't remember which. No, no it's darker it's a, it's when darker you're leaving morning. school. Yes, that's right. Yes. Oh, Walking that's home on them beautiful. dark nights was always good. It was always sort of quite, you know, you you if you were me. And you, we had a mm. head full of that stuff on the telly, those fantasy things. Well, and you we could believed... believe that at any moment the box of delights would happen around you. It's that yeah. sort of feeling, isn't it? Did you have those... Um... Do you remember the winters of 80 and 81? Oh, yes. Yeah. 81, oh. 82 was particularly good. I mean, if you look at beautiful. time flight, you can see how long it went on for. The Absolutely, snow. yeah. Oh no, beautiful. We need more of that, please. Well, you can't have them, apparently. I, I think it must be this global warming. You know, no, I'm not it's, having it. I know you're not having it, and I'm not having it, but you know, we don't get snow. We need to be wealthy. We need people to subscribe and give us five star ratings at iTunes on this so we can become fabulously wealthy. And then nice. um, Paul could be, he could do what, three months of the year in the Arctic Circle? Happily. Oh, so happily. Yes, but you'd have... You wouldn't be able to get Amazon deliveries. Oh. Mm, There's that. 
you potentially would have to sort of generate your own electricity somehow. No, I'm not doing that bit, no. Well, you'd have to. You'd probably have an exercise bike linked to the telly. Absolutely not. No, I want to be on the national grid of of mm. Scandinavia. I don't think it goes that far north. Well, they should sort that. Okay. They're, All right. Well, no, just within the Arctic Circle. I've been there. I mean, parts of um, Finland, Lapland, they're in the Arctic Circle. That's beautiful. That's where it That'll gets do. jolly cold. That'll do. Absolutely. That'll do, it's yeah. six-foot snowdrifts. That's what I want. Yes, but you'd need a chap to bring you your provisions every week, wouldn't you? Yes. Unless you were going to go hunting. Well, I'm not doing that, obviously. But there'll be a chap who could do that. There'll be somebody who could do that. Um, they had shops. I remember a shop. I remember a shop there um, which um, sold hardcore pornography on the top shelf. Um, but, You'd need that if you were stuck out in the snow. Well, you would. But what, what you possibly wouldn't need is um, whoever the people were in Finnish Lapland who were churning mm. this pornography out didn't seem to think that what they should do is have any sort of quality control when it came to the front covers. Um, and so uh, the front cover of one that I spotted obviously featured pictures they'd just got out of FHM or something. Right. And it was just girls off Brookside. So, I don't think they're doing that, are they? I thought you'd have liked that, dear. No, Brookside, no, absolutely not. No, no, not Brookside, but sort of like Brookside Nights... The sort of the sort of porno spin-off. You'd have been all for that, wouldn't you? No, because they tried that, didn't they? Didn't they tried Brookside late so everyone could go for her knobhead and things like that, and it got a bit raunchy. You'd see a close-up of some girl's thigh or something. They yeah, tried I remember that. that now. Or when they released those dreadful spin-off videos, like The Lost Weekend of Brookside, and they were certificate eighteen and they tried to make a movie. Yes. No. Yes, I remember that. The worst of those soap spin-offs has to be Emma Dance. Do you remember that? So Emmerdale released a straight-to-video, obviously, of uh, Zach Dingle showing you how to line dance. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for a while, that was a storyline, wasn't it? The um, Oh, was it? Yeah, where they, they suddenly formed a line dancing band. It was oh, when, who was that person on. who started doing line dancing about 20 years ago? Some... Billy, Billy Ray King or something. It's something like that. <laughs> all of a sudden... Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray it? King. Uh, oh, yeah. just, just dreadful. And suddenly we're all meant to enjoy land, line dancing. No. Yeah, it was a strange thing, especially in the north. We went for it in mm. the north, didn't we? We used to have these... Did you remember those? Um, they used to have country and western nights in, cl- well, in yes. like social clubs when we were kids. Listening to Tammy Wynette and Kenny Rogers. Yeah, yeah, and shooting guns and stuff like that. There used to be a family near us had a bloody cartwheel above the top of their door on the council house. Why? Because they were they they walked round in the cowboy hats and the boots and everything. Were they were they unwell? Well, I presume so. I hesitate to name them. I, I, I should do, really. But, um, yeah, they lived in the next street to us, which was a, it was a bit sort of like... It was weird because where we lived was the nice council street. Well, it was in my head. But either yeah. side of us, Alfred Road and Harold Road were sort of like filled with other sorts of people that you didn't mix with, you know. Um, and there were no wagon wheels in our street. Absolutely not. No, they've got smaller. But yes, yeah, they have. 
They have. They actually have. They but have. no, no, none of that ever did anything for me. But then again, when people tell me, oh, watch this Western, it's by Sergio Leone, I'm not interested. Ah, I've but, never. But any of Morricone's music? No. 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 No, oh, no, give me Ron Grainer any day, dear. No, well, it doesn't. Yes. It does nothing for me. Seven Mules for Sister Sarah. Someone once said, oh, you've got to watch that. That's amazing. Horseshit. Dreadful. It lasted about six hours. Oh, they do. They go on and on and on and on and on and on. Um, you know, uh, you mentioned Ron Grainer. He did the music for the Omega Man. Um, oh, yes. And there's loads of music. He's obviously just thought, eh, from The Prisoner. And mm. it's in, if you watch the Omega Man, you're like, hang on a minute. This is the prisoner music, you know, the incidental music. It's an interesting watch, dear. I need to get the wrong grain of book, actually. I haven't got. Didn't you say well, there was I've a wrong grain of book? I've lost Uncle Mike at this point. Oh, this is a bit exciting. Oh, I've lost Uncle Paul at this point. Maybe he'll reappear. Maybe he can Ooh. hear me now. He's but, frozen. Um, hmm. I'm sure he's talking away, and you can all hear him. Where's he gone? He's frozen. Oh, well, at this point, I'll just keep chunnering away. Um, and in case Uncle Paul doesn't return, um, <laughs> I'm presuming he's still there. Hello, Paul, are you still there? Can you hear me, Mother? Hello? Okay, well, I what don't know there? what happened there. I think that uh, potentially Alistair Campbell has had a word. Can you hear me? Hello? What All right, well, there? I don't know what's happened here, kiddies, at home. Um, so what I'm going to do now Hello? is... Uh, oh, he's there, is he? Okay. Um, right, so, well, that about wraps it up for this week's edition, uh, seeing oh, as Uncle you. Paul has gone. Um, so uh, we hope you have a lovely week, and until Hello? the next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Antidote to Modern Living was presented by Sir Michael Livesley and Lady Paul Carmichael. The music was written by Michael Livesley and the flutes were played by Andy Frizzell and John No Jokes Please Lewis. Nice Things is a Guilty Dog production. Nice things.